Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Georgia, the show of play, Italy, aperitifs, and lots more. Today's guest is portfolio manager of Fratelli Branca, Miss Fernet Ferry herself, Megan Sparks. We had a great chat talking about public speaking, talking about art, and that parallel line that making cocktails has to do with creating with your hands, and in this case, Megan working with clay. We also talk about an art cooperative that Megan's working on in East Austin, and it's great to get to talk more about the hobbies and the things that accompany the great personality. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Megan Sparks. They're always, customers would sit down and the first thing they would say is, you know, how did you get here? And yeah. you would tell your story a million times a night. Do you remember, how many, can you even roughly remember how many times you told that story? Oh, working at Peche for the two years that I was there. Yeah. I don't know, maybe on average, you know, twice a night. That's three insane. To five times a night. I have no idea. Yeah, that's, but that's a lot. Like, mm-hmm. did it ever feel, this is a, a wild um detour off the art piece but did it ever feel like you were just rehearsing this thing like it was you but is it you you know because you're just it's like your story a canned response right uh i think that i was pretty authentic yeah and i try to be with everyone all of the time um but there was a little bit of a spiel yeah it is you know right? here's how i got here you know because you've only got a few minutes with somebody right so Make you know you shorten it the elevator yeah. pitch mm-hmm well, so growing up in the art piece was, and I love talking about music, and oh, in a way, like maybe the podcast is just this way for me to talk about music with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> totally like, fine. Out, you know? So, but you're doing clay, so you're really like using your hands for this stuff. Big into music as well at that point, like going to shows, like which the art community often embraces. Yeah, so I would say I just... Art was always a thing in my life. I was always taking any art class that I could as yeah. a young person. And then when I got to college, um, I actually had a scholarship. I had an academic scholarship. Oh, really? But I was also cheering in cheering. college okay. because I was like gymnast turned cheerleader. And, yeah. You know, it just made sense. And um, so my first two years, I was going to West Georgia University okay. in Carrollton. Carrollton. Oh, and outside of that. Carrollton, Carrollton, Georgia. Okay, okay, because there's one in Dallas, outside of Dallas. Too. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No. <laughs> and um, and I studied art because I wanted to be around that community. Yeah. And at some point, two years in, I remember, you know, kind of being faced with, they said, okay, well, it's really, really time to choose a major. I know that you've been an art major for this long, right. but how about marketing? How about, you know, whatever? Um, and I thought about it. It was like a conversation I had with my parents. Sure. I thought about it, and I decided that 
I didn't want to go to class and learn about things that didn't interest me just mm-hmm. because I thought that it would get me a better job in the end. Right. Because I don't, I don't agree with that. No. You're, it's not the case. That's what, you know. It doesn't guarantee anything. Yeah, you're Either way. right. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. So I decided that if I was going to be spending this much time uh, doing something, that I wanted it to be something that I loved. And so I solidified my art career kind of in a way. And I picked up and I moved to downtown Atlanta and went to Georgia State. Oh, wow. And uh, um, at that point, I was just like coaching. And, you know, I had kind of started bartending. Mm -hmm. And um, and then there was this one section that I needed to fill um, that didn't transfer, and there was one class, and I got to choose from like women's studies, which mm-hmm. I was really interested in as well. Yeah. And there was an intro to religion, and what I would do is I would set up because I was really particular about my teachers mm-hmm. because they make or break a class. Oh, right? of course, yeah. And so some I time would, with them, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I would sign up for the max amount of credits, and I would basically go to the first day of class and interview every instructor. Every professor. Really? In a way, I mean, yeah, you know, I would get the syllabus and I would look and I would see what they were ha- what we were reading and, you know, what kind of person they were. And that's, if I was really going to get anything from this class. That's incredible. And at the last minute, I would drop the ones that I didn't want and I would right. keep, you know. So I walked into Intro to Religion and there was a, a man named uh, Lou Rupert and he was just calm and very wise and he started the class off with poetry okay. and then, like, you know, went into everything else and I just... I love this. So I took that as like my second degree. You and this is you, are you still like in your late teens or early twenties, and you're like interviewing professors to see if they're worthy. Kind of, yeah. That's, <laughs> but that's crazy. That's I mean, that's a really brilliant way to kind of figure stuff out. I mean, mm-hmm. that makes so much sense. It's like it, it's like Fast Times at Ridgemont High, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, this makes it, Mr. Boone. This makes it our time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does. So like the student should be as engaged with the quality of the mm-hmm. teacher as the teacher is with the quality of the student and eventually you start you know once you get further on your college career by you know year four and five and I was a super senior by year five (laughs) um you uh you create you know relationships with these professors because the classes get smaller and you know more challenging and it was actually a director in my undergrad that told me about an artist that was willing to have an apprentice and I needed to I was living in Colorado at the time, and I needed to get here in like ten days, and that's why I moved to Austin. Oh, really? Yeah. More for art so, again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So w- I have to wonder if your parents are talking to you about the straight path, right? Doing marketing, doing business, which is what my dad did with yeah. me. Yeah. I I don't look back. I think it's a great chat to have with him. Mm-hmm. But where does the artist, the pr- the propensity to be an artist and be creative, where does that come from? Do you have siblings that are artistic? Your parents are they? It, we, it must come from somewhere because I have I have two brothers. Okay. One is 15 years younger than me, and the other one is six years younger than me. And Mason, the older one, he went to school for music. He can play any string instrument. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So he he's, has some he's kind fantastic. of... He's fantastic. He's like way cooler than I ever was when I was his <laughs> age. If he's playing guitar, he's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it must have come from somewhere, but, you know... What do your folks do then? I'm kind of curious. Uh, my mom works for Delta, and okay. she has since I was born. Wow. And uh, which has been good because it's allowed me to travel a lot. I bet. And then my dad works in insurance right now, but he worked, uh, he was a real estate appraiser my whole life, worked from home. Yeah. But I come from a family of creatives. There are some musicians, there are some really, you know, artistic people. And it was just in me, and it must have been in Mason too. But my parents, maybe that was a conversation that they had with me once, Mm -hmm. and maybe never again. They never pushed me. 
they always let me Because once decide. you were really firm on what you wanted to do and passionate, yeah. then, like, why would they stand in the There was way? no pushback from that. It was They were wonderful. That's interesting. So when you talk about your style of art and doing clay, what kinds of things do you like to... Because you said it was... What was the word that you used? So I love figurative work. Figurative work. So... Okay. As in the human figure or mm-hmm. is... Okay. Um, and that's kind of not recent, but... Just working in clay in general, 3D, like basically drawing in space is really, really something that I think I just take to, and not everyone does. Can you, so can you really, really, because I'm, I really, when I think about drawing, I can really only do 2D. I can't think about it that way. But you're saying you really have that dimensional insight into how to create shapes and things? It's just, it's what I enjoy. It's what I love. And um, I think that it's naturally where I ended up. Yeah. For a good reason, not everyone does. Some people, you know, would rather be photographers, right, or just painting on canvas, mm-hmm. or watercolor, whatever, you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why, but yeah. and um, so I took, let's see, not last summer, but the summer before that, I was working at Peche, mm-hmm. and the team is just amazing. You know, they're like family, and so they wanted me to be happy. And there was this workshop in Florence, and I had to be gone for the majority of the summer, like oh, six wow. weeks. And so they like they saved my job for me for the most part. I mean, Rob saved you. you know, if they could, they're <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, it'll be you know, if it is, and when you get back, you can have it. And I, you know, got to go to Florence for the summer and do a figurative workshop where oh wow, we were in the studio eight o'clock in the morning until five p.m. and then sometimes until eight p.m. Right. Uh, with you know a model in the same position, and I just sculpted her body and I learned how to you know determine you know where her muscles were and right. how they were sitting on her bones and how, how do you determine that stuff is it do you do you ever have to like physically touch it or you can always tell no. by lighting or um it's cool the way that they the, the technique that they taught me was really cool we had one half life-size figure and then one life-size figure but it oh, was wow. only from it was only like from the neck up right? right right so if i were drawing your face if i were sculpting your head uh-huh. um i would start from the side Okay. And so I only saw my model for the first two weeks from the from the like, side uh, from his. What birth. is that? The portrait. Yeah. From, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you would find the you know um, the point on you know the top of the head uh-huh. and the point on top of the uh, forehead and then bottom of the eyebrows, tip of the nose, underneath the nose, where your lip starts, yeah. where it ends, the line. You would draw all of them out and so if you were to turn and look at your sculpture from the front it would just look like a squished face got it okay and then eventually you build out and you start building your eye socket and your cheekbones and you start building out more and more and then you just start slapping on things like hair and that's insane it's hard to explain no no (laughs) that's a a great way to explain it what is beyond like the multiple phases to kind of bring this to life how long typically does something of that stature take um our program was six weeks, okay. but um, it should take months to do something. Like yeah, that big. a year. I mean, it should take a really, really long time. It was like a you, crash course. Well, that's still cool because mm-hmm. at least you have a finished pro- project at the end of it. I imagine, right? Mm-hmm. How do you know? And this is kind of a great question. Whether it's and I, no, I'm not giving myself credit. I just think it's an interesting question. Like when you think about making drinks, when you think about writing a song, when you're painting. How do you know when to stop? Stop adding, stop layering, stop tinkering. Hmm. Well, when it comes to a piece, 
I don't think I've ever made a piece of artwork and thought, yeah, it's finished. Yeah. There's nothing else I can do to this to make it any better, you know, but you get to a point to where you are satisfied with your work. Mm-hmm. Um, and with drinks, um, there's always some tweaking to do, some knob twiddling, but right. it's, I don't know, it's a little different. It is. I think ultimately maybe what I'm getting at is that people overthink it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so instead of realizing that some things can never be done, truly done, and that you'll never be 100%, it, it, it won't be perfect, you know, mm-hmm. that they just keep adding and adding and somehow they think that that's going to change the root mm-hmm. th- disparity in the piece itself, you know, and it doesn't end up doing that. Do you see, so the, just, you know, summarize it into a question, do you see cocktail getting more complicated for any real good reason? Oh, that's a great question. Um, it is It's kind of a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, actually, yeah. when there are nine different ingredients in a cocktail, <laughs> yeah. when there doesn't need to be. Totally, right. Right. Um, I've worked with someone once who was a fantastic bartender, but was famous for like nine different things in his cocktails, <laughs> and they were always really, really tasty and right. very good. But what's the, you know, keep it simple, stupid, and you that's kiss right. it. It's, it's so much more enjoyable when you can find the harmony between a few wonderful things. Right. Uh, that's why the Beatles work, and I use them <laughs> all the time, because it is the, the perfect template. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got their place. No one's overstepping other people's boundaries. If you added a sixth or a fifth Beatle, mm-hmm. yeah, I might throw it off a little bit. You might throw it off. But then you would have to, you know, up this other Beatle. That's like. right. And <laughs> yeah. then the, the, the sheer brilliance in the balance of those things, like a daiquiri is the greatest example, or a mm-hmm. kind of same thing. That works as a trinity. And if you're like, well, I'm gonna now, I'm gonna put mint in it. Like, okay, well, that's I mean, that's good. It's great, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, now I'm gonna put prosecco in it. Like, Okay, that's good too. You ultimately, have like an airmail cocktail, or whatever. But <laughs> it's still no better than it was at three ingredients. Right. You know if I mean? it ain't broke, man. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I just think like it's almost immediately if I see something on a menu that is so overwrought with complexity for complexity's sake, in a sense, peacocking. Mm-hmm. I won't drink it. So this isn't me trying to be nasty by any means but <laughs> in a way sometimes i think cocktails like that are bartenders showing off for other bartenders ah, and yes. i i think that we should keep in mind that we're not bartending for each other right. we are trying to make drinks for you know regular customers that yeah. come in and um i also think that the way that people are drinking is changing i think that that like super tedious you know really really specific type of bar um, has a place, mm-hmm. but I also think that there are bars, you know, here that have mastered this idea, like, for example, Whistler's, right. where you can get a really, really good drink from any bartender behind oh, totally, that bar. Yeah. Um, but you could also get a beer and a shot mm-hmm. and walk away. They're, and no, they're, they're not better than it. Yeah, right? they, like, they can make you anything, yeah. but you get whatever you want, even if it's easy, even if it's just a Boilermaker, and, you know, it's... There's no, no one makes you feel like an asshole for ordering a vodka soda if that's what you want. (laughs) Because it's not, that is the greatest lesson to learn in adulthood, as I found out lately, is that don't do stuff for the the people that you're trying to care for. Mm -hmm. It's not about us, Mm -hmm. right? It's not about like how smart I am. It's not about what I've achieved. Like who gives a fuck? It doesn't, (laughs) it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. So what is one title 
gain you in five years? Like, will anybody even know? And no, they won't. But they'll always remember the guy that wasn't a dick and like never mm-hmm. made him feel bad for asking questions. Well, we were in the hospitality business. That's right. So, um, but there are, on the other hand, maybe um, while I enjoy being behind the bar, yeah. And it was definitely, I, I always loved the fact that I could make something with my own two hands and I could give it to another person and it would make that person happy. Yeah. That was what I loved about making cocktails. But there are some people who do feel like it is their art and for good reason because they're amazing at what they do. Yeah, and I don't think they do it for, you know, the, you know, fame or you no. know, to show off. Like, you know who, like I, I talk, I think that's, there's pl- lovely personalities in this industry, lovely personalities in Austin. And like I, for some reason, I always think of Billy Hanky, right? Yeah. Because Billy's just a—he's a dude, and he's cool, and he's nice. He's not pretentious. Yeah. His drinks fucking kill so many people's drinks. Yes. You know what I mean? And he's just doing it. He's and not he's really just warm it. and cool. Yeah, he's just fucking cool. I, you yeah. Know? Yep. I'm not trying to give him too many props, you know? I mean, he could just beat the shit out of me too. He could just hold that <laughs> over because he's like a photographer. But like, that's the thing I like. Yeah. The guy that's just unassuming, mm-hmm. like I just like doing this, and he doesn't yeah. even think he's good. Mm, well, yeah. it's great you know it is so strange you'll never catch him talking about himself no never yeah. always love just loving person very compassionate a gentle giant one of the few brian dressel being the other but so i'm i'm got these two paths now for you that i've kind of seen and kind of we're illustrating here along the conversation you have this art path of which you really like using your hands you like getting into the details you were committed to it mm-hmm. and then at the same time probably to pay some bills and stuff through college you were doing hospitality and then art brings you to Austin, but hospitality keeps you here. Is that fair? Or? Yeah. So the way it went was uh, college in Atlanta, and then I moved to. So I studied abroad mm-hmm. in Italy for about? about a year in this, Venice. Is, this is before the before I Florence? graduated. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. yeah, okay. yeah, before way Florence. Before. Mm-hmm. And then I came home. I walked. So I've basically finished school in Italy for the most part. Um, mm. I walked and then I moved to Colorado because, and I lived in Estes Park. Oh, gosh. Uh, and I worked at the Stanley Hotel with The Shining was written Did you about. really? Yeah, it was great. Could you sense it? <laughs> was there something there? I mean, people I trusted and, you know, didn't view as kooky at all had yeah. experiences. I never did, but it was a weird hotel. Uh, yeah, there's something about Colorado. I experienced, I think, an apparition in Colorado once, too, in an old, like, kind of stone house and... There's something about Colorado. People just yes. like, the, the supernatural just flock there. I don't mm-hmm. know why it is. But is it never a bad feeling though, actually. No, I really? Say. No, never. Yeah, sometimes it scares the shit out of me. <laughs> it's, yeah, it really scared me that particular instance. But how long were you then at the hotel? Uh, I was there for I was in Estes Park for about a year and a half. Wow. And uh, and I loved it. And, you know, I was working behind the bar and that was kind of when I got my first taste of actually working at a a cocktail bar yeah. because they basically did away with the entire old bar and started a new program. And the guy that was starting it, it was, you know, not many people, most people were seasonal. So right, we were right. together year round. And so I was kind of there for the birth of it. And, and I thought, oh, okay, this is more than just, because I used to, <laughs> in college, I would go to school Monday through Thursday and then Friday, Saturday night, I would work at a bar. Mm. And I, it was for lack of a better word, a lot like Cody Ugly. <laughs> Very, and, but I made so much money. It's hard. How is yeah. it? It's hard to turn your back on, yeah. isn't it? And it got me through school, right? Yeah. But this was my first taste with cocktails, and I thought, okay, this is not what I always judged it to be. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then I moved 
kind of on a whim. Again, most of my decisions are kind of on a whim. Makes sense. They do me good. So. That's what artists do. Yeah. <laughs> They're whimsical. <laughs> to Austin and... But there, nothing bringing you here? Just like Austin well, seems cool. Well, I had one best friend from college okay. who lived in Houston and one best friend from uh, high school mm. who lived in Round Rock. So actually when I moved here, I lived with her for a little bit. Gotcha. Um, so I had a support system already a little bit, but I'm also not afraid yeah. to just move out on my own and you because know, I'd already done it a few times. Right. But I, uh, I mean, and then I had this artist that I really wanted to work for. That's so great. Um, I forget what the question was. <laughs> no, that's that's good enough. I mean, uh, so but that explains it perfectly. So you, there's a reason you end up in Austin. What was the, like, because was the art thing your career at that point, or just something more that? Oh yeah, no, I wasn't making any. I didn't real want to money put it at nope, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I wasn't making real money at all. I just, I had, I had been visiting my my best friend for years. Mm-hmm. So she had taken me to Peche multiple times. So the first week that I was here. I walked into Peche just to have a good drink and to see this bar that I already knew was good, you mm. know, and to learn about Austin a little bit more. And the guy, his name is Cam, who was a barmate of mine forever, is exhausted. I'm like, are you okay? You know, he's like, yeah, we've just been so busy. South by's over. We're understaffed. We just, apparently three bartenders walked out in South by. Oh, I think I remember And I thought, year, yeah. ding. And so I walked in the next day. And have you ever spoken to Dwayne? Dwayne Clark? Yeah. No, soon. He he uh, interviewed me and was like, "All right, come back with your TBC on Monday." Oh, nice! He's so exactly like you catch everybody so like d- disenfranchised and just exhausted. Oh, yes, it's yeah. a perfect time. Right? Up on him, like, you guys <laughs> are all tired. I'll there. do it. Yeah. Like, all right, go ahead, just do it. Yeah, so that's good. So, what, what year are we talking then? When you started at Peche? Um, let's see, two thousand and fourteen. Oh, wow! So pretty recently. Yeah, okay. I've only been here a few years. Who were some of the starters with you there? So I started with uh, Dwayne, but shortly mm-hmm. after that, he opened up a different uh, Cherry Street uh-huh. with the same company. Um, so, and then Larry, oh, yes. Trey Jenkins is, Trey, yeah. Trey and his wife are probably my closest friends here in Austin. He's a great guy. Um, and then Cam and a, another guy named Miguel and Rashid yeah. and uh, a girl named Marika who is now managing Bowser yeah Marika Buser. you should interview you. her she's great she's great She's yeah she's a really interesting person I'll have to think yeah, and she's I'll pregnant so she's got a lot of cool oh stuff. there we go yeah. <laughs> oh man don't get me started talking about kids though that's like the wrong yeah <laughs> Get her before she has the kid. Good, okay, good. Yeah, we can talk about, like, what are you afraid of? Right. Because right? I have a recent, uh, somebody I work with, Brit, a lovely Brit, and he just had a son. And I'm like, do you automatically love, I think I've mentioned this before, another chapter, like, do you automatically love the kid when it comes out? He's like, fuck no. <laughs> it's like, I think he finally, like, starts to love him now. It's like, I don't know, like, four months in or something. He's so, it was. it's lovely getting some insight into what it really is like yeah. to be a new dad, you know? But, so what was the opportunity that took you away from Pesce? It seems like a good gig. You've got good talent back there. Yeah, it was um, It was actually Fratelli Branca. Oh, really? So I was there, you know, from the day I got there until the day I left for Fratelli Branca. And I had had a couple of other things kind of pop up and lend themselves to me. And opportunities that I had, you know, two years in was starting to kind of consider. Yeah. Um, great growth opportunity, you know, but this, the way it happened was weird. It was, um, I had 
just kind of started uh, managing with Mariko. Mm. I was like the assistant manager. And she and I work really, really well together. But I realized that I had just enough time to pursue, you know, maybe like a part-time brand ambassador role. Right. So I reached out to who at the time is, uh, his name is Evan Meeker, but he's Carly now. Um, and he told me that Templeton Rye was looking for a part-time brand ambassador. And I said, I want that job. Because yeah. there weren't very many women running around repping whiskey. It's still and, very yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I really thought that I could do it. And so he's like, all right, cool. And it just so happens to be I had seen a post that I had, you know, answered an email to. Mm. And so this guy named Alan Rashkina got double hit with my name. So he looked me up. And we went and had coffee at Buzzmill. And what was supposed to be 30 minutes turned into two hours. Wow. And he flipped over his card at the end. And he said, he pointed to the Fernet Bronco logo and uh, Carpano Antica as well. And he yeah. said, do you know these brands? And I kind of smiled. <laughs> and he said, well, I can tell that you do. And I yeah. said, yes. And um, and he said, well, there's another opportunity I think that you'd be better for that I would rather talk to you about. Amazing. And so that's kind of how it happened. Did and you ever think about like at that? So because it seems like you have these really two pieces of your personality. Of course, they intersect like <laughs> the artist. But then also the person that likes people, the hospitable side, mm-hmm. right? Was the game or was the the plan ever just to be a brand ambassador or did it just op- open up its opportunity? Like, no, this seems like a logical next step. It, it did. And in a small way, I had always kind of wondered if it was where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um but the, the learning curve has been really steep. And I'm only a little, almost a year-ish to a year and a half in and so I'm still learning a lot right um maybe in my mind yeah I was thinking I, I knew I never uh wanted to own a bar I didn't even necessarily wanted to manage a bar yeah um but uh, I also don't think that I ever wanted to be a working artist either I don't think I ever wanted to make money solely off of my art interesting okay I think it was always something that was just for myself yeah but also, I mean, I want to share it with other people, but I didn't expect to make a living. Right. So I realized that this was a really good opportunity to take, and it did seem like the best next step. But I get to I get to marry my two worlds all of the time now. So, for example, I'm a part of a it's a new artist collective um, called Topology, and we mm-hmm. just a few weeks ago actually opened our doors to uh, there are like about a dozen artists. And everyone, there's performance artists, there's a couple of musicians, I'm sculpture, there's painters, photographers, wow. everything. And there's a warehouse that is literally spitting distance from Whistler's that we are renting. That's so cool. And we've already, it's already coming together. We're not, we're not actually making this happen yet, but there are going to be, we want to do events, you know, bi-weekly jazz concerts with mm-hmm. the trio that's a part of it. And you know, we've got dancers and we've got everything and I'm going to get one of the woodworkers to build us a bar and I can make cocktails for people and kind of, yeah. so I get to always marry my two worlds it's now. It's like the Gilligan's Island. You got like someone that can do anything on that pl- and for those Yeah, in that place, yes. I mean, it's new. There's booze. Yeah. Give them any material, someone can work with it. I know. We we are a new family, but they're, they're I'm really excited to be a part That's of That's so it. cool. Yeah. And so... You, it seems like then you there was the other track then too. It's like, well, how am I making money? What yeah, does my career look like. Obviously, I have to worry about making yeah, money, right? Um, but with this job, I get to manage my work life balance. Um, and yeah, it it's a it's a great job to be able to make sure that I still get to be an artist 
and be in that world, but I'm mm. still making money, but I don't hate what I'm doing. And you're not hating yourself as a result. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not bitter about, you know, to be honest, I would work really, really long hours at Peche mm. just because that's the nature of the beast anywhere you work, right? Yeah. Um, but I probably am always working in some small way now, but I'm not bitter about it. I love it. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And you have basically like the cult product of this industry, if you think about it. I mean, no, it is. There yeah. is no larger ritualistic type of product that people imbibe on at mm-hmm. the end of a shift like there is for now. I mean, it's you stepped got a into, lot of brand loyalty. It does, and it has a lot of traction. It yeah. has a lot of mystique. It's got persona. It's like this thing onto itself. There are not a lot of spirits like that. Yeah, it's like our rite of passage. In yeah, a way. It's, it, you know, it is. Our little thing that we get to, um, we get to keep to ourselves, but also share with others. But choose who we share it with. Yeah. Um, I just started this new program that we uh, guinea picked at uh, Peche, but we released again at Juliet recently, and I'm going to talk to Jeremy and see yeah. how it's going. But in it, you know, in my head, it seems like a great idea, where I basically um, the the servers and the bartenders get these little cards uh-huh. that say like a little little teeny passage about what Fernet Bronca is. But then it says from Juliet and there's a space they write their name. Uh-huh. So it's basically a way for them to, you know, give you know, a complimentary shot mm-hmm. to whoever they choose at the end of the night, right? right. They only get like a few. Whoever's worthy. Mm-hmm. They so they get have. to choose. And really the way I thought about it is because, you know, the way I think about it is that they're like, you know, many ambassadors for the night and they get to pick who they want to share their secret with and their small little passion thing with. And I would do that all the time at Peche. I would be like, oh, you know, this couple's cool. I'm going to show them what we drink. And I would pour them little tastes Mm -hmm. of Fernet or, you know, anything else I thought they would like and just kind of introduce them to it. Well, it's weird because you're, that works on a lot of, a lot of levels, right? Now it, is a just amazingly creative way to get people to own the brand too, you know, because they're part of they belong to it. There is a culture to it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's pretty smart, like from a business perspective. And so when you when you think about how to advance the brand and advance the awareness of your brand, socialize it. Do you always think about like the business side of it as well? Because it's being so rooted in the creative part. Like that's an amazing creative idea. Yeah. But does it make money for the brand or does it even matter what's your return on an investment so i'm always having to ask myself that question because i have to justify everything that i do yeah um so one of the you know the i've got tons of great advice but i was always told you know spend this money and create programs and you know do your job as if this was your own money as if this was your own life's work and so that's amazing because it's you have to have passion for it. Yeah, you. Yeah, I definitely um, wouldn't have left for a brand that I didn't truly believe in, because uh, <laughs> I actually don't have a very good poker face. Okay. <laughs> so in other words, you can't lie to me. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty. You can tell. Um, there's even little things you can just people who know me really well. So you don't play poker then can read it. me, and and so and and maybe it's the artist in me. When I really believe something, yeah. I believe it, and I will share it with you, and you will feel how I feel in some way. Right, and it's infectious. You but know, then the opposite's true. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I I knew that I would never have been able to work with brands that I didn't really believe in. Well, that's amazing because so you've got 
you said you've got Carpano Antico as one mm -hmm. of, a wonderful vermouth. Yes. Beautiful. One of my favorites. And then Fernet Branca and Fernet Menta. Those yeah, Branca Menta. Oh, Branca Menta, thank and you. And then Carpano has, there's Carpano Dry, Carpano Bianco, Pintamis. And then in the portfolio of Fratelli Branca, there's also Cafe Borghetti, which is an excellent espresso liqueur. Oh, wow. I haven't <laughs> and they have a Sambuca, Borghetti Sambuca, and there's Candelini Grappa as well. So wow. it's great that I have so many different... Um, products to work with sure. and I'm not stuck drinking just one thing I also love the fact that I work with four different amazing kinds of vermouth because I'll have vermouth based cocktails all night long yeah and be fine yeah because it's low ABV yeah great. and low ABV cocktails are really great I yeah. love them well and they're more approachable I think for mm -hmm. everybody you know Punta Mess is amazing I love as it as well I didn't realize that's part of the team mm -hmm. also it's not Pretty good stuff. You that's, get a pretty strong, strong game, Megan. You yeah, know, it's a great. It's a great. I feel very, very lucky. I couldn't ask for a better portfolio. Is it ever hard for you to cold approach somebody if you're talking about Fernet? Yeah. Um, I that you know I realize that we live in a bubble. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Okay. And so we know what Fernet is, and we think that everyone does because everyone in our bubble. Right. That's not true. <laughs> That's not no, even close no, yeah. to true. Um, and so I've been very humbled by this job by realizing that most people don't know what it is and they can be young or old. You know? Right, right. Um, and so I've noticed that if, you know, I approach it, because this is how I learned to drink from it. I was living in Italy and I accepted it immediately because I understood that it was part of their culture and it was something that we had after dinner, mm. you know, and we didn't drink it the same way there as we do here, but um, I accepted it because of that immediately. And so here, if I just explain to people that, you know, listen, you didn't grow up with the same type of palate that an Italian person did, you know, with the bitter fermented vegetables that they even, you know, eat and all the different um, spirits that they drink are just yeah. completely different from what we drink Rafa, here. come on. Right. And so you did not grow up in the same way. So just open your mind to this culturally and partake in it in that way, you know, just kind of understand that what you're drinking has some cultural significance behind it. And once they kind of feel like they're a part of it in that way, and once yeah. they kind of understand, you know, what it is that they're about to get themselves into, they're <laughs> way more receptive to that. Yeah. I've noticed. Well, it's it's the bringing someone, instead of forcing your opinion on someone else, yeah. bring them into the the realm of Fernet. Because it's polarizing. There's no doubt, mm -hmm. right? It is bitter. It is. I like Menta better, actually. I don't know why. I but love I, I love Menta. It's People so in Texas good. love Bronco Menta, man. It's so good. Yeah. I think because one of the greatest moments I, I ever had was being challenged. I remember Stephen Robbins would, earlier in this my career here in this industry, like Stephen would make something called The Closer. And it, I was like, huh, that sounds interesting. Well, inherently, it's just... Does a, it have mezcal in it? No, this oh. would, it had Lafroig. Oh. 12, so you get smoke, lemon heart 151, absinthe, and then bronchomenta. <laughs> so I think you know where I'm going. Lots of hot yeah. proof things. Uh -huh. The closer? Yeah, that's the about closer. right. In all the ways. All the ways, right? Uh, it's, it's polarizing. He made me a shot the other day, actually, with Mezcal and Fernet. Oh, that's so amazing. Wondering. Um, yeah, that's great. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things. How did you feel about Fernet when he um i think my experience is a little different it was almost like i had two first times because mm -hmm. like i said the first time was in italy right 
and it was solely for after dinner and it wasn't the only thing that I ever had after dinner either so and then years passed and then when I was in Estes you know that cocktail bar um, when it was handed to me again I already kind of knew I wasn't necessarily crazy about it Mm -hmm. but it wasn't offensive for me Um, and then slowly as bartender culture we would you know drive down to Boulder and go to the bitter bar, which is actually where Justin Lavender got his start. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. It's so funny. Um, and uh, start, you know, and they would be taking shots. And mm. like, okay, cool. And I don't remember ever deciding that if if I drink this, I'll be cool too. But <laughs> I do remember kind of just surfacing a little bit yeah. and accepting it easy. I didn't hate it, but it wasn't significant for me for many years. It's hard. It's not the place to start drinking. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like gin's not really this place to start drinking. Mezcal certainly isn't. But as you evolve and kind of develop your identity as someone who has a preference of flavors, mm-hmm. Fernet has its specific place in that mm-hmm. as a bitter. There's really nothing like it. There are things that are, I guess, reminiscent of it, but nothing that's truly similar to it, you know? And, and I mean, long before... Uh, I mean, there are times where I wish that it didn't have so much alcohol because yeah. it, long before I ever worked for Fratelli Branca, I always had a bottle of Fernet Branca on, you know, in my house because when you go home or when you go eat and then you come home and you're miserably full, yeah. it was the cure-all for that. It's a great. It's a yeah. panacea for, for being <laughs> overindulgent. For, yeah, 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 it yeah, totally yeah. is. It did. I remember the first time that I had Fernet, I was in San Antonio in like this weird kind of art, shanty almost like a bare wood someone is really sick on the couch and someone was with them and said he's drinking this I'm like what is this and they hand it to me and says it'll make him feel better you should try it. it's got all these herbs and all of these you know, ingredients that are good for your, for your digestion and stuff and mm-hmm. i drank it i was like i don't get this what the hell <laughs> right and, and this, was, this was some years ago but like to think about it having that cult reputation even then that wasn't mm-hmm. those were industry people the David Lynch of experience, you know. <laughs> right. I really feel like it is. But it's easy. You enjoying the gig? Do you get to travel a bit for it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They sent me to Milan when I first started to train me, and that was great. Um, I got to stay a little while longer, like on my own personal time, and mm. uh, went up like hiking through Lake Como. And, oh wow! Um, and then they've sent us, you know to california new york i travel all over texas yeah. send us to tales every year um i get to travel a decent amount i mean traveling is exhausting and i don't i don't travel nearly as much as some people like yeah. travis tober for example oh, you know i just really really feel bad for you know i mean it's he likes it's, it though i think i'm sure he does <laughs> some he's a machine like there it, he can you know, do it yeah. Um, but it's the perfect amount of travel because I'm just enough in that in between where I'm kind of a homebody, but definitely not <laughs> at the other at the same time. Yeah. So I get to spend you know two or three days in Houston, two or three days in San Antonio, two or three days in Dallas, and split my time between Austin. It's a nice mix of things. You're able mm-hmm. to have a lot of balance then. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the moniker the Fernet Fairy. How did this <laughs> kind of come about? Um, so, well, I think growing up dancing and, you know, being a performer and just loving fun things, I've always just been, like, the type that ran around and I have a box of costumes, literally, 
that I've been collecting for ages. Uh, it came in handy like last week for the Pride Parade. <laughs> and, uh, we had a great time. Uh, and so I am just always kind of running around, you know, like social butterfly, whatever. Yeah. And I guess at some point there was this one night where I was with Jessica Sanders, Michael Sanders, Allie and Trey Jenkins. Mm. And there was this, uh, actually at Laguna Gloria, there was this, uh, it was Dolce Vita mm-hmm. food and wine festival. Trey asked me to come to see if uh, I could help him bartend. Turns out it wasn't super, super busy. So he was like, all right, just go run around, right. do your thing. And I said, okay. And I had brought a bottle of Fernet with me. And so like tipsy Texans were there. Mm-hmm. So like uh, David Allen and Joe mm-hmm. and I was just like running around behind all of the bars and everybody's taking shots of Fernet and just running around the food festival, bringing food back and forth to people. And, right. and at some point at the cleanup that night, I cannot remember. I feel like it was Allie or Michael Sanders. It was just like someone threw out the name. You're our little Fernet fairy. Just flutter around and, <laughs> you know, you've got all your little costumes and you've got your, you know, things and... Um, it stuck That's and I, at first I was a little weirded out by that. Okay. Um, I don't know. I just haven't uh, having like, cause that's like, you now have a persona, right? You could have a comic book written about you, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's Whoa. not that far off. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's done me. I mean, it's better than being coined something awful, <laughs> you know? Um, but it's, yeah. I, I started to, after several people started to kind of throw it at me and mm. several people, who were in marketing even pulled me aside and they were like, that's really, you know. It's alliterative. It, it's, it's, it's great, yeah. you know. And it's so fitting of you and you should just go with it. And so I don't necessarily speak about myself in third person, like right. this alter ego for net fairy thing <laughs> necessarily, but I like tag it and, you know, it's, it's Are fun. Are you the net fairy though? Or is it just this, this piece of this persona that you've created? It's definitely not something that I created. It's definitely not something that I fake. Okay. Uh, I definitely have a, a gear that I switch into mm-hmm. that it's um, I'm a very happy drunk right. <laughs> usually yeah. yeah so it's a very natural state yeah. in which I s- quite often end up in I'm happy in groups especially when it's groups of all of my friends right. and so I mean I come by it honestly and it's that's, definitely not fake that's amazing though you have this thing like you can be iconic in your own way, you know? Not a lot of us can, can In my do own that. mind, yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, that's perfect. That's totally sure, perfect. yeah. <laughs> Spreading the love of Fernet. Mm-hmm. Like, keep expanding this secret that's not a secret. It's like Fight Club, but it's not like Fight Club. Yeah. You know what I mean? We'd all talk about it, but someday it's going to, you know, once my dad drinks it, then we're all done, I think. But Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if my dad I mean, will ever drink it either. It's good for business, still. Mm-hmm. So when this kind of continues to take on the collective kind of builds momentum your creative career maybe takes off you know this is one of those kind of standard questions but i have no idea in let's say like five years where all of this stuff's going to take you do you ever think about what you where you want it to take yeah you? i've definitely thought about that um i do know there are certain jobs that are technically almost next in line. And I don't think that I would be happy um, in some of these positions. But, you know, I've also heard horror stories from people who are national brand ambassadors and they're like, oh, it's, you know, it's exhausting. um, And I don't know if that's where I would, you know, really want to be either. Mm 
Um, but I do know that I'm the kind of person that needs growth. That was a small reason why I left Colorado because there wasn't any more room for growth for a young person there. Right. Um, so I do know that I'm going to continue to look for growth. But the good thing, I was just having this conversation the other day, um, the good thing is that the company, Fratelli Branca, is definitely growing. Yeah. And so there are potential positions that could even be created that might be perfect for me. Right. You know, I've got strong roots in Italy. I love being there. Maybe they'll need someone like me there one day to mm -hmm. be kind of, you know, go back and forth. Who knows with the way that the company is growing, you know, what will be needed and if I will be able to help in that way. Yeah. I don't know if the position that I would want necessarily exists yet. But it always could. But it could. I mean, it's a fantastic company, so it definitely could. So much potential. So you kind of, you know what you want, but you're taking it a day at a time, as they say. Yeah, I do. It doesn't, it just doesn't wear a specific face yeah. uh, or doesn't wear a specific mask. It doesn't until it I does, want. right? Yeah, it, I do know that I am intuitive enough to know if I took a job, if I was going to be happy. And that is the most important thing for me. As long as I can pay my bills, yeah. put a little bit away, and then travel a little bit, then I am i don't need much more than that, right? Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't take a job that I knew I was going to be miserable at because that's really, you, really important to me. Well, it's brilliant to have that balance. I think the, the last thing I want to ask you was, and it's good, that we're in a real interesting state sociologically in the States right now. There's mm -hmm. some weird shit going on politically. The most verbal and overt racism I've ever like kind of seen in my life, which is really, really strange and weird and kind of awkward because in Austin we don't really feel it that way in the same way. But there's also the other issue about hospitality right now in this industry and a lot of sexual harassment going around and stories of women being marginalized, objectified, like behind the bar and from across the bar. Mm -hmm. As your experience as kind of a very driven and ambitious woman, do you f feel that stuff? Do you feel like men are treating you differently or that the industry is treating you differently? Um, if it is, if that is the case every now and then, mm -hmm. it isn't, it is, especially with the people that I work with closely, it isn't anything that is intentional. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there's some issues with equality still uh, going around. There are a lot of really, really, really successful and intelligent and really strong women in this industry. Mm -hmm. um, and but there, yeah, there have definitely been times behind the bar even where. I've been uncomfortable about yeah. things, you know what I mean? But I've also been lucky to have coworkers who have always stepped in, if anything sure. ever. It's definitely, it's definitely a, a climate in our culture and in our industry right now, mm. and that isn't completely fixed and isn't done sorting itself out. Right. Um, but I've never been personally uh, victimized to a point to where I felt like it was something that I needed to speak out upon. Yeah. Um, because I've been really, really, really lucky in the sense that I have worked with like very respectful men. Yeah. Who I do feel, especially at my company now, but even before that, 
Um, I feel like I was always given a fair chance. Uh, but I don't know, every now and then you can just tell. It just like people can't help it. I know. I can't because I kind of sense it. It's like bloodlust. Yeah. I mean, and I, I'm trying to be as articulate about it as possible, but yeah. like you can just see a guy that's three sheets and then everybody becomes like this this objective. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Especially being a woman behind the bar. Yeah. Uh, you are automatically hotter (laughs) because you're behind the bar and they can't they physically can't even get to you you know it's just you're everything changes uh and that's a weird position to be in where yeah just yeah it's 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 a weird position to be in where you're kind of i i was always very mindful of like trying not to use any part of my sexuality behind the bar because you want to do a good job and you want to do it because you're good at your job, for not because re- you use, and the same thing goes for the job that I have now, yeah. not because I used any extra cards that I had up my sleeve or right. any, any of my other, you know. You're not sexualizing the product. For mm-hmm. the sake of God, no. Yeah. yeah. So I, I want to be respected because I'm good at what I do and because I have good ideas and because I'm good to work with, yeah. not because I'm a woman. I. It's real apparent. I mean, you're articulate. You're insightful. I can tell you have a plan. That's the thing that scares me about people sometimes. It's like, uh, I think she's got a plan. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck's going to happen, but I think there's a plan there. It's weird that I feel my whole life like I've always had a plan, but I couldn't ever tell you what it was. Right. I had a guy actually at a bar the other night kind of like corner me and say, no, 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 but what do you want to do? And I, I had to stop and I say, I just told you. He said, no, you didn't. You didn't really tell me. You said, oh, you know, I want to do this. I want to feel this way about my life. I want to have these privileges and blah, blah, blah. He said, but what do you want to do? I said, you're not listening to me. Yeah. You're not listening to me. I'm telling you the, the, the general idea of, of how I know I want to feel about myself as right. a person, um, as a career woman, as an artist, as a friend, as you know, a daughter, as everything. This is definitely the plan. And that's actually more important anyway. Right. And yeah. I know that that's where I'm heading, but I can't exactly tell you what it looks like just yet. Well, that's the beauty of it. I also can't get know. too attached to that road, right? No, it's true. Because yeah. it always can change. Maybe there are mm-hmm. other industries that take you in other directions. Never can I, never can tell where you're going to end up. And that's, again, the excitement. That the excites me there. personally. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. It's been really lovely chatting with you. And I think that... Like I said, you've got a plan. <laughs> it's scary because mm-hmm. I don't know what the plan means. But <laughs> but you've done a really good job with Fernat, and people have nothing but just the greatest things to say about you. Oh, that's great. You know? Makes me feel good. <laughs> so keep on fighting the good fight, Megan. I will. Thank you. I appreciate you. it. Mm-hmm. Talk to you soon. Well, there we have it. What do you guys think of Megan Sparks, Fernet, Bronca Fernet, Menta, two of the most epic and cultish spirits that you'll ever see in this industry. And it's great to know that such a lovely personality is behind them here in Texas. It's great talking about why we do the things that we do, what we're interested outside of this industry, and how all this stuff eventually intersects. Megan's got a great reputation and lights up a room with those fairy wings. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how many layers of clothing you're wearing because it is 40 degrees here finally in Austin, Texas, or if you're really wanting to watch the entire season of HBO's Westworld in one sitting, please keep dancing.